Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love as an action. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love so they can look back or look ahead and say, we got it right. We did good. Those are the four different words for love, and the most significant one uh, they dwelt on the most, and I've got to believe that somebody who was a Christian had a role in shaping that commercial, because um, agape, this love in action, is the, the core of representing who Christ is and who we're supposed to be as a church. For 50 years, over 50 years now, we as a church have served this community. In our members meeting on Thursday, I recounted a lot of the different ways uh, that we had done that just in this past year alone, from feeding children in Guatemala to uh, the reconstruction of homes in the barrios of Costa Rica after a fire had occurred to our engagement with Osborne, to the reading program we have going on with the school that's affiliated with Osborne. In fact, um, I will share this one bit. I'm not going to go into everything from Thursday, but um, we have, there's a program called SOAR uh, that's building off the fact that if you're not able to read at a third grade level by third grade, that there's about a 90% chance you're going to end up incarcerated in jail or in poverty. And so they're attempting to address that, and it's driven by a church we're in partnership with. It's driven by Christians. We have over 20 of our individuals who have volunteered to go down and mentor these second grade uh, kids, third grade kids. And so one of our guys was down there as part of the group, and uh, the second grade boy asked his age, and his response was somewhere in the upper 50s, I guess. And the kid's natural immediate response was, you're going to die soon. And then he came back with, but I hope you don't, you know, which was good. We've had the robotics team that we've been working with Osborne. There's so many different things that have been going on uh, just in this last year, let alone the last 51 years. I've been part of that um, for 36 years 
come this March. And if you were in our meeting on Thursday, you would have heard me say that um, and announced that I'm going to be taking a sabbatical. And I want to kind of expand on what that means, both for myself and for us as a church. And forgive me if this is a, a somewhat more personal communication today than, than normal. Um, I would say that all our communications, uh, I believe, are very personal. At least they are on my part, and I'm sure on Mickey and Rob's as well, too. Um, I'd requested the elders a little bit of a space of time a couple of weeks ago, a little more beyond my, my normal time that I would take. And um, they discussed it, came back with me, and said that uh, whatever I was planning on doing, they wanted me to see me double that, and they wanted me to see some education expansion on that and, uh, and provide for that. The last time the church invested in me in this way was 1990 to 1992 for my graduate studies at Wheaton College, uh, which the church enabled me for. And so beginning the Sunday after um, Easter, April 19, um, I'm going to be stepping away for approximately three uh, months or so. Um, the term sabbatical uh, is kind of actually rooted in Scripture. And you find the root word for it, of course, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Um, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so he takes this seventh day and God rests. Um, he does nothing from what we can understand on that day. He is just, I don't know, what does God do on Sabbath? You know, I mean... <laughs> play golf? I don't know. Um, but he rested. We have a mindset in this culture that busyness uh, denotes importance or significance. Uh, the busier we are, somehow that makes us more valuable or important or significant. I'm too busy to be with this or too busy to do that. And um, and that has come to define us as a culture, and it is very unbiblical. On the seventh day, it says he rested from his work. He goes on and says that he blessed that day and he made it holy. Now, we're, we're beyond Old Testament times. We're in a New Testament time of grace, but the principle still applies. So whether you have, actually take the Sabbath day, which technically would be Saturday, in Christian times, Sunday, or whether you pick another day of the week, for myself and most of our pastors, it's been Friday, a time that, honestly, uh, uh, they and, and I, myself, unfortunately, have violated on a number of occasions. Whatever day it is for you, one of the questions I'd raise to you is, are you taking that day and are you setting it aside? Now, the term sabbatical goes a little further. It's actually one year out of every seven. And as well as the root word is in Genesis that we just read, in Leviticus chapter 25, 1 through 5, it's an instruction to the children of Israel. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. That's freaky. The land's got to take a rest. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord, 
Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. And the concept in agriculture was to let the lion lie fallow and that by doing so, um, it would have greater growth going into the future. That was the concept behind it. And so the concept of a sabbatical once every seven years is drawn, ironically, because it's in academia as well as in other realms, but it's drawn from Scripture. In the academic realm, uh, the concept was that, and is, that um, every seventh year that someone would step away for up to a year, you can go anywhere from three months to a year, and they would use that time to travel or to research or to study. It was a period of leave, paid leave, that's granted uh, to the university teacher or other worker, and it's, like I said, one for every seven years. So the long end, one year, short end, three months, once every seven years, 36 years, that's roughly five years. I will be back in 2025. <laughs> Have a good half decade. Um, so this is what it would mean in academia. It's been around for forever. Uh, when a scholar needs peace of mind to focus on a challenging issue, uh, they take this leave or... Um, to kind of create inspiration and insight. It's not a vacation, uh, though that may be a portion of it, but it's really not a vacation. It's an opportunity to refresh the mind and the body um, for ongoing continued creativity, intellectual, and when applied to ministry, which is also common amongst pastors, it's for spiritual renewal as well. In 2018, there was a study that was done of the United States workers, American workers. And it says in 2018, 52% of workers finished the year with unused time off. In other words, you didn't use all your um, vacation time. If that's you, then you're in violation of Sabbath. And there's reasons maybe why you didn't do that. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment of time but I want you to consider how this can apply to you. But as I said, this is very personal as well. I asked the staff uh, last week here in staff meeting, and I said, I was just curious, I said, I'm just asking you, what exactly do you think I do? <laughs> I was just curious, you know. I had 14 blank pages turned in, uh, no. Um, <laughs> this is just a sampling, it's not the complete list at all, but. Things like prepare and deliver Sunday messages, uh, chair numerous committees, manage all direct reports, coordinate with outside organizations like RZIM, Detroit Bible Institute, Handprints, Messenger Fellowship, Osborne, FBC, TLC, Life Remodeled, and a number of other alphabets. Weddings, funerals, each of which is unique in and of itself. I've never repeated a funeral once. Weddings tend to be a little repetitive. <laughs> Can only go so far on those, but even those are the messages. Develop leaders, maintain relationships both within the church and outside the church, approve and oversee budget and expenditures, oversee ministries within the church, set culture, counsel, uh, different people in different situations. I like this one uh, that one person put down, processes problems slash issues with nearly everyone. And then, same person put down, teaches random history lessons. Um, 
so that is true. Um, I have found that uh, in this season of time, um, a need for renewal, I appreciate the elders and their response. And uh, in their words, we'd like to keep you around for another 10 years. And so they see this as an investment, uh, both within me and within our fellowship. Um, I need to address uh, a few things. First of all, rumors. Let's address those because they will exist. There'll be all sorts of fantasized reasons as to why this is happening, what's taking place, where. So first thing, first, if you would please get this out, I am not dying. So please, would you not let that one fly around? I am not leaving for another church. Uh, I know that's disappointing to some, but that's not going to happen, okay? Um, and I say that uh, lightheartedly. Um, I didn't lose an internal power struggle of any kind uh, when I shared this with a relative of mine over the phone and uh, mentioned a couple of weeks after the meeting, a couple of days after the meeting, uh, to my mother and my sisters. They were driving together at the time. I didn't find out till later, but when I called, when we had a conversation follow-up, my older sister said, yeah, we pulled over the road, and we all looked at each other and said, what does that mean? Because <laughs> they came back and gave him more time than he asked, and they thought it was a political issue. So I'm starting with my own family to make sure that's not a problem. Um, basic health is okay and, and all the rest, but um, I will admit a level of exhaustion over the years with just a variety of things. One of the things the elders said when I came back in the room um, after their conversation um, had been that we see you as kind of a battery that has, uh, um, has kind of got a memory and it doesn't recharge all the way anymore. And I have noted that. I've gone away and I'll come back and I'm, I'm wired for a week or two and then it kind of... And so I've used that same language, my wife and I, in our conversations. So the need for a deep recharge is something. So those are some of the, the baselines. Um, I'm aware that uh, there's going to be various people that in response to this. Um, one grouping of people in this gathering will be very excited about what the possibilities of this means for myself personally or for us as a fellowship because I really am excited about what is transpiring in this church. We've spent the last six months restructuring some things, find the scenes that you haven't seen, some things that you will see in the future. And so as we're preparing um, for a new season of ministry in the fall and completing this one, there's a lot of really exciting things happening. I'm really excited and wired about that, uh, even as I deal with what else I'm dealing with. So there's that grouping of people that will be excited about this. There'll be Another grouping, I have no idea how big, uh, I, what I'm doing is just not that important to you. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, great, whatever. I'm not at the center of your world. That's fine. No problem there. Okay. Be another group probably, I'm sure, that is, can be mildly annoyed or, or envious possibly in that. Um, there's another grouping that I would refer to uh, that has to deal with fear. And I want to come back to that because I want to um, first go back to how this can relate to you personally and the importance of taking the time that you need to take. The significance in having not just a Sabbath, but recognize when you've hit red line. Now, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but those of you that are uh, auto enthusiasts will understand that. And it's in other industries as well, too. You can run that engine up to a certain point, but then you rev it past into the red, and you've redlined it. An engine cannot handle, uh, for long periods of time, being in that red zone before the engine breaks down and needs to come back down a bit. And the same thing can be in other circumstances and situations. Maybe I can give it to you a little bit more illustrative for you and personal in this sense. 
because one of the more memorable and I think unique illustrations about this kind of arrest and how you handle it personally um, involves a 19th century British politician, sorry, it is history, um, <laughs> named Samuel Plimsoll. And most of you have observed and, and, and are aware of this. You just don't know that you're aware of this. In the 19th century, when the idea of insurance was created, that we will insure these ships for your loss. In the past, the ships went out, they sunk, you're out, period. So they invented the concept of insurance, we will insure this, and if it doesn't come back, there's something to be gleaned from this. Well, immediately, because of human nature, with the advent of insurance, also followed quickly insurance fraud, being man. And this created an incentive for ship owners to purposely sink their own ships in order to collect the insurance. This grim practice became so widespread in the 19th century and killed so many merchant seamen that the overinsured, overloaded vessels became known as coffin ships. Plimsoll, this British politician, was caught up with William Wilberforce, the Christian politician who, um, applying his Christian principles, advocated and eventually got the removal of slavery and started the abolition of that around the world. Uh, he was so encouraged by this that he decided to apply his biblical view of justice to this specific issue of overloaded ships for the purpose of sinking, killing the crew, and gaining money from them. And so in 1868, at Sheffield's Fullwood Chapel, notice it was a church he launches this, he announced that he would, quote, do all in his power to put an end to the unseaworthy ships owned by the greedy and the unscrupulous, end quote. Plimsoll uh, crusaded for legislation to prevent it. So in 1873, under Plimsoll's leadership, Parliament passed the Merchant Shipping Act, which required all ships to have a line painted around their hulls, something that became referred to and is still referred to this day throughout the world as a Plimsoll line. And if you've seen a ship before, then you will have seen these lines. And they're an indicator, depending on the ship, and it could depend on the season of time and the density of the water and also the cargo that's being carried as to where the appropriate line is. But if they go below that, then it's to indicate they've been overloaded, they're in danger of sinking, it's become illegal to do so, and they're to be addressed as a result. It showed how safely that the, the ship could sit in the water or carry the load without overloading it and sinking. If it was below the water line, the ship was in serious threat. Each of us has a load limit. We are exceeding our limits in scores of areas all the time. One author, uh, Dr. Richard Swenson in The Overload Syndrome, wrote it this way, from activity overload to choice overload to debt overload to expectation overload to information overload to work overload, we are a piled-on margins society. Basically, we all need our own plimsoll line put onto our calendars. Every single one of us here now, some of us, we don't have the opportunity. We're, we're trapped in circumstances, and I want to address that in a moment of time. But many of us are not. We just choose to not take the time that we should. That is wrong, and it's a mistake. And if there's anything by what I am doing now with my schedule that can encourage you to take a look at yours, 
then that will be something that will be worthwhile. I said fear is one of the things that's a problem. There are those who will be excited about this. There'll be those that can be apathetic or uncaring one way or the other. There'll be those that may be mildly annoyed or envious. But I think there's also those of us that can have fear about even taking the time that we're supposed to take. So I'll be gone from like April 20 or so and I won't, really won't be engaging until um, probably the first week of August. I won't be speaking until September. What happens if things fall apart while I'm gone? What happens if there are those who cease supporting this fellowship because I'm not here? Worse, what happens if things go better with me not being here? <laughs> told the elders, I said, I'm prepared to hear that. I told staff, I said, I'm prepared to hear that for the first two weeks I'm back, that things went better. I said, just after that, let's stop, okay? I hope it would go better. I think there's all sorts of possibilities uh, that can occur. But fear in our own situations or circumstances sometimes stop us. What if they fill our spot? What if something else happens and takes place? If you're letting fear control your life, you're never going to step out and do what you need to do in life. And you won't last if your plimsoll line is dropped down. And if you're in the red zone, you're just looking for a time when you're going to break down in one way or another. And you're going to fail in one way or the other. I told uh, one group of people, I said, I feel a little bit sometimes like a sister. And the cisterns were things that they'd be, not a, not a sister. Okay, I'm very <laughs> clear on that. Um, but it would be a cistern that would be carved into the rock. And then the water would rain down or run off and it would fill. And there would be a pool there that water could be drawn off of in dry times. And I say, I feel a little bit like the cistern that I am. And the level of knowledge and experience I have, I say, I feel like there's rocks that have fallen into that silt. So it's not containing and holding the same water as it used to. I kind of want to go back with the Holy Spirit's guidance, just remove some of those rocks and and clear out some of the silt so that it'll hold again and refresh and be what it's supposed to be. I also, um, I love what I do. I really do. And for those of you that are new people, maybe this is your first experience, and it's like, wow, okay, this is really weird. We're walking in and he's leaving. Um, Well, first thing, I'm not doing that till April 19th, so please don't come back the next couple of weeks and say, are you still here? Uh, um, it'll be a while but it also means that my schedule over the next couple of months will probably get a little compressed because of that time so be patient with that as well too but if you were a new person walking into this I I think I would find it if I was walking into a situation like this I'd find it really interesting that there was a fellowship that made that kind of provision and investments in its uh, leader and uh, if that's for me I'll uh, just tell them I'm on hold right now You can answer it, though. It's okay. Um, There we go. There we go. That was good. Isn't it great when we can all share that moment? You know? (laughs) Uh, You gotta love church. You know? I mean, it's... If I was a new person, I'd be, I think I'd find it interesting that they invested, because if they're going to invest that in their leader that way, then, then what does that mean for me, and what comes after that, and what kind of church is that? 
This has been a church that's been unique. My wife and I both grew up in ministry's homes. Neither of us wanted to be in ministry. And the reason why in part is because most of the churches that we grew up in, to be honest, in many ways were dysfunctional. Um, and they weren't very kind to their leaders. Um, I've embraced ministry fully, and I have, I have found myself blessed. I, I, I think we have a fantastic fellowship, and um, it's been rich. I want to thank the elders for their consideration in this. If they hadn't given me the liberty, I wouldn't have taken it. Um, this is the way I'm wired, unfortunately, in this a bit. Our trustees, who are our bean counters and numbers people, I met with them this past Monday and mentioned to it as to them as well. And I don't think we have a group that is that is more intelligent on the on the business of things, and yet ministry minded than this particular group. And they've been encouraging. The staff has been far, particularly encouraging. Um, though. Uh, way this is going to work is that I'll be taking a, a couple of weeks with family, and my family will be with me as much as they can at different times. Sometimes they will be here still, and I won't be because I'll be in the educational process. So if you see them, don't expect necessarily to, to, to see me around. And uh, um, part of that education is going to be uh, two weeks in England. I'll be uh, taking a course at Oxford that's been provided for. And uh, um, there's an independent study that I, I'm in the process of finalizing, hopefully with some people's help. Um, in Israel, and one of those could involve Mount Sinai. And the staff's discussion at one point in time, knowing how Moses stepped away from the camp and people kind of went crazy, if you know your scripture, um, they were encouraging that that would happen. Um, and so they discussed the idea in front of me of gathering all their gold objects, melting it down, and creating a golden calf. <laughs> and then somebody in the group said, no, that would be wrong. But a golden cat, maybe that would be good. <laughs> we will be making some staff adjustments before I leave. <laughs> a few people won't be here anymore. Uh, no. <laughs> we have a great group that way. But this has been a church that has been unique. We haven't had a lawsuit ever. We've never been party to a lawsuit. We've never had scandal. We've never had internal dissension. We've not had violence. One of our phrases is we discuss things vigorously because we have strong leadership, but never violently. No one ever cusses anyone out. Nobody ever maligns someone in a gathering or so. This has been a church that has truly cared about the things of God. It's been a good fellowship. And, uh, and it's been a privilege. To have... Uh, been party to this and to have led this fellowship for the season of time that I have. And it's my belief and expectation that, um, that this is part of God's plan not only for myself and my family, and I'd, as I mentioned earlier, neither my wife and I wanted to get into ministry a lot. Um, we did because that's where we felt God calling us. My wife is uh, fully employed at General Motors and has been for a number of years. Um, and there's been a lot of time that my schedule has conflicted with our schedule. And she's been very gracious about that uh, for a very long time. And that includes even the release of what time is going to be on some of this, because there'll be a portion of this that she or my sons will be with me, there'll be a portion of this that, that, I will, that, that they will not. So I just want to express that appreciation as well, too. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is, is uh, expectations. That's, if I have one concern, it's probably that. And part of it's managing my own expectations of what comes out of this. Part of it is, is I'm unable to manage yours. 
if the expectation uh, is going to be that I'm going to come back with two stone tablets with writing on them, <laughs> or if you're a Monty Python fan, three, um, then I, I wish you'd adjust that, all right? Uh, I'm trying to shape my own in regards to that. But I do believe this. I think God is shaping in something in us as a fellowship. And I, I, I guess I'd look the same way as to see what is God shaping in you during this time? How is he challenging you? What degree are you taking what breaks you can? Maybe you're not permitted or able to do what's provided here. You don't have the same type of schedule or arrangements, whatever else the case is. It's common in academia and in classroom stuff. It's common increasingly in ministry over the decades. I mean, yours doesn't allow, but are you taking the vacation times? Are you letting fear guide where you're at? Are you prepared to let go? The trustees at one point said in the Monday meeting, just said, you know, you're going to have to let go during this time. We want to make sure you really release things. And I said, I, I agree. We're setting up mechanisms so I can do that. To what degree are you? Not long before his death, Henry Nguyen, a writer and a minister, wrote a book called Sabbatical Journeys. He wrote about some friends called the Flying Rudellas. They were trapeze artists. And um, they told Nguyen that there's a special relationship, and you may have heard of this as well, between the flyer and the catcher on the trapeze. The flyer is the one that lets go. They're flying, they let go. And the catcher is the one that catches them. As the flyer swings high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go, Nguyen writes. He arcs out into the air, and his job is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the, clutch, of the catcher to pluck him from the air. One of the flying rudellas told Nguyen, quote, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. Some of you are in a vulnerable moment as well right now, and you've let go maybe of what God has uh, called you to let go of, or you're prepared to do so after our conversation here today, but you can't yet feel God's hand catching you yet. And so in those situations, we start to start flailing around and trying to grab hold of whatever we can grab hold of. When the word of the Lord is, will you wait in absolute trust? Will you be patient? Waiting requires patient trust. In the season that I'm walking into, it is a time of listening probably more than anything else and of releasing of things. Whether it's me or whether it's you or us as a church, hanging in midair with your hands out is not exactly a very secure feeling sometimes. But if we start going all over the place, then he can't catch us. And we take hold of something and things that we shouldn't take hold of or grab a hold of. Psalm 31 verse 5 says, My times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. The title of this message was One Step Back, Two Steps Forward. And um, as we begin to draw this down a bit, I'll give you a little bit of an illustration that came to my mind recently. This is an old uh, Cherokee Indian bow. Uh, the Indian who made it, hunted with it, sold it to me years ago, a thing down in Nashville. This is a, an actual Indian air, I forget what tribe and, and all it is. But I was struck by the fact this last week as I was processing things that 
that this, like even a gun or some other weapon, even a gun in the firing pin or a hammer, it's the same way. If, if I hold this like this and I just go forward, I'm not going really anywhere or doing a lot of work with that. You know what I'm saying? I went forward. I think most of you are following where I'm going with this. This, like a lot of things, I'm so tempted to just kind of swing out this way. <laughs> you know, there was one person that didn't think this was a good idea. No. But like in anything, you draw back and you can suddenly let fly a lot farther in drawing back than you can if you just go forward. What is it in your life that you need to draw back in order to fly forward? For me, it's this time of sabbatical beginning really Sunday, April the 19th. For you, it may just be a day, maybe just one day a week. Maybe for you, it's just one hour of that one day a week. Are your times in his hands, or do you insist on holding them yourself? For me, for 36 years as of this March, it's been my privilege to lead this community. And there'll be a day when I'm no longer doing that. In the words of Aragorn, today is not that day. But there will be a day. And I don't want my identity to be just this. God is shaping something in us as a people. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to check your own plimsoll line. See what the load is. See where you're at in the red line of things. See where you're at and how you're honoring God in the quietness of your life. Are you letting fear dominate that? Are you prepared to release it and put your times in his hands? Are you flailing about all over the place or are we waiting patiently for what he's doing? For me, this is a season of retooling and growth. It's a time for restructuring and seeing what God has. Next week, we're going to begin a series. I was tempted to say my last series. It is just up until the time when I come back, but it's entitled Signs, something Mickey and I are working on together. I appreciate this church. I enjoy coming in for worship. It was great being here a couple of weeks back and just slipping in and, and being in worship and hearing Mickey share and just sitting and learning. 
and that's the season of life that I'm going for right now. There's a song that's had a lot of meaning to me over the years, and as we were processing this, um, Jake mentioned the song and, and did a rework of it, which I thought is, uh, I think it's just really, it's, it's, it's really timely, it's different, and expresses something differently. So as you consider yourself of what it means for you to take one step back so that you can actually take two steps or a lot more forward, offer um, this different version of an old song for you to consider.
in action for over a half century this church has carried that out and we have a lot more yet to get done step back to go two steps forward there'll be those around the front here if you'd like to come up for prayer You're a really weird group. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> what groups applaud over being called weird? <laughs> you are a strange group, but that you, you come by honestly. <laughs> um, but you're uh, a good church. You really are. Love one another and extend that to others. Let's pray. Father, as your people, we come before you. This is not our church. This is your church. Its future is determined by you, even as its past has been shaped by you. I pray, Father, for each person right now who is desperately in need of rest, that the provision would be given for them, that those that are overloaded, that can see that, that they'll be given the opportunity and will have the courage to not let fear overcome them, but to step back. And Father, for those that, for whatever circumstances they're in that they cannot, I pray, God, that you'd strengthen them by your Holy Spirit, maintain them in the midst of stormy seas and the difficulties they face. Guide us and shape us as your church, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it. And the church said, Amen. Yeah.